0: Hello and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. It's so great to be with all of you today. For those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your content. And please be sure to follow us on social media at Breast Cancer Conversations. For those of you who tune in each week, it's great to have you back. This episode is going to be a little bit different. In today's episode, I am going to share with you the results from our Breast Cancer Meets COVID-19 survey that we sent out to our survivingbreastcancer.org community members. And even from there, our members shared with their networks, and we had an overwhelming response. We really wanted to understand how you guys are feeling. How not only is breast cancer impacting you, but in light of COVID 19, what are some of the concerns, questions, and navigational strategies you guys are embarking upon as we face this world health pandemic? of COVID-19. So first and foremost, thank you all for those of you who have submitted your responses to us. We worked tirelessly all last week to organize the data and we called upon some of our interns and volunteers to help as well because the response was so overwhelming in a positive way. And then last week, we had the opportunity to present the information to over 60-plus oncologists in the Boston area. So this opportunity was really wonderful. It gave us an opportunity to share your personal experiences with the medical professionals and really start to open up that dialogue. So without further ado, welcome to the conversation. So the goal of this survey, it wasn't anything scientific. It literally was a short Google form that we asked people to provide their experiences when they were diagnosed, what stage they were diagnosed, if they're in active treatment now or not in active treatment, if they are continuing in what we call maintenance treatments. We also asked if they had surgeries coming up, um, different reconstruction surgeries, et cetera. And we really wanted to understand in light of COVID-19, how this health pandemic has impacted the breast cancer community. I personally feel like we had a good understanding kind of like pre-COVID-19, right? You get diagnosed with breast cancer. You have a couple of options when talking to your medical professionals. There was a pretty straightforward like sequence. Sometimes you had chemotherapy before surgery, followed by surgery, if that was a possibility for you, and potentially radiation, Sometimes you had surgery first, followed by chemotherapy, depending on your oncotype score, followed by radiation or reconstruction, etc. So there were kind of like four major buckets, whether it was chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, and then I would even say like hormonal therapies for for those women who are ERPR positive and can do hormonal therapies afterwards. So we kind of had a good idea of how the breast cancer situation flowed, right? We talked to a lot of women and no one's situation is the same. I'll preface all of that with we are very unique and we all make very distinct choices, but overall we had kind of an idea of the path. Then all of a sudden COVID-19 happened and I feel like the breast cancer community has been thrown again another huge curveball. as if breast cancer wasn't like crazy enough, we now are dealing with COVID-19. And everything that I thought I once knew no longer applies. I'm talking to women, excuse me, I'm talking to women who are now being diagnosed with breast cancer and because they can't necessarily get into hospital for immediate surgery, they're actually being prescribed hormonal therapies as a type of neoadjuvant treatment. So again, treatment that takes place before surgery. And so... I've never heard of this before. Maybe this has been happening, so correct me if I'm wrong, but this was new to me. This was a new information that people can be given um, tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor prior to surgery as a way to try and shrink the size of the tumor, start progression, and then when it was safe for people to return back to the hospital for surgery, they can move forward with their treatment plans. I've also spoken to some other women who typically go to the hospital to receive their Lupron shots. Lupron is a a shot that some women receive as a way to preserve their ovaries um, or kind of put them to sleep, so to speak. So when you are going through treatment, you will not necessarily um, be producing estrogen. So it's a way to kind of induce medical menopause is what I call it. So I personally get Lupron. I get shots every Three months. There are some women who get these shots every month, and as a response to COVID nineteen, these women are either being shipped and e- or mailed, snail mail the shot and have to administer the shot themselves, or they might go into the hospital and get the three-month prescription of Lupron, so that way they don't have to go into the hospital every single month. So these are just some of the anecdotal conversations I'm having with our community members of how their treatment has been impacted by COVID-19. So looking at our data, I want to kind of paint the picture a little bit Of who our community members are, who our listeners are on our podcast, who our subscribers are on our mailing list. And when talking to the medical professionals, I think it's very easy for us to fall under the bucket of we are the patient, we are the ones being diagnosed with breast cancer, we're the patient and we're here to be treated. But I don't want to lose sight of the fact of all of the identities and uh, hats that we wear, right? We are moms, we are teachers, wives, Some of us are students, we are CEOs and VPs of of amazing firms, we are sisters and aunts and friends and musicians, yogis and runners and triathletes, you know, we have all of these wonderful traits and identity that we associate with, so depending on who I'm speaking with, I will use the term patient once in a while because if we are talking to medical professionals, that tends to be very inclusive of who we're talking about, the patient, and that is us. But that is also to say that we are not a statistic, we are not a number, we are human, and there are faces and personalities and smiles behind the microphone, right? There's This is our voice, and this is what we really want to communicate across. So it's important for me to understand how you guys are all feeling, right? This is our community. And then, you know, record scratch, line in the sand, COVID-19 happens, So I want to go back to framing the situation back in February, and I'm going to turn to some of our friends who I know are listening. I was capturing some quotes from social media and from some of the emails that I was receiving. And right around the time COVID was starting to break, let's say like late January, early February, we kind of had this opportunity to utilize coronavirus as a platform As someone being diagnosed with breast cancer, we felt that we understood this when the rest of the world did not necessarily understand what social distancing was, that they didn't understand what it was like to be sheltering in place and at home and not being able to go to the grocery store as frequently as they once used to because of fear of getting sick. They turned to us as the experts, right? We as breast cancer thrivers understand what it's like to have an immunocompromised system, what it's like to be living at home, watching hours on end of Netflix and having that be totally okay. And so we thought, okay, this is coronavirus and this is breast cancer. We have two little buckets here, but we can help. So for example, on the coronavirus side, we have, please don't come over. I'm social distancing. And then on the breast cancer side, we have, Please don't come over, I'm going through chemo. I'm not used to being home all day. Well, ask me for advice, I've been there. It's hard homeschooling my children, we've heard. Versus on the breast cancer side, we used to say, can a neighbor or friend pick up my son or daughter from school during pick-up and drop-off? On the coronavirus side, we heard, what if I get coronavirus and there's no vaccine? And on the breast cancer side, we say, what do I do? Because there is no cure. Fast forward a couple of weeks into March, and this platform became even more intense. It was no longer the platform between coronavirus and breast cancer, but it really became, this is my experience with breast cancer before coronavirus, and now this is my experience with breast cancer during coronavirus. So what used to be routine, when you went in for your chemo infusions every week, we are now calling our doctors to see if it's safe for us to go in for an infusion. When I had concerns and an allergic reaction to the side effects that required medical attention, I would go to the hospital. Now when I have a reaction to treatment, I would call my doctor and inquire if it's even safe for me to go in. I spoke with a lot of women whose surgeries for their double mastectomies were scheduled for mid-spring. Now we're wondering if the surgery will still take place. And it keeps me up at night knowing that the cancer is still inside my body. So there's this shift, right? So how do we adapt to all of this? Is there increased anxiety? Is there increased nervousness and fear and concern? But there's also an opportunity here for us to learn from each other. This is new for all of us. And I want to reassure all of our listeners that the medical oncologists are amazing. They have put breast cancer patients at the forefront of their decisions. They have been working with national organizations like ASCO, for example, and the American College of Surgeons, and really trying to understand who is is at immediate risk, who still needs to come in immediately for surgery, and at what point is it okay to postpone something to four to six weeks if it's not going to have an impact on overall survival. So I do want to reassure everyone, while we may feel a little concerned because this is new to all of us, that after conversations with the medical oncologist, I feel incredibly reassured to know that they have our back, so to speak, right? They are thinking of us, they're working with us, they are actively reaching out to us and increasing their communication. And that is something that we express to them also when we had the opportunity to speak with them last week. So the results of this, this survey that we sent out, we sent out a survey last week to all those who have been diagnosed with breast cancer and we received about um, 130 responses, which I think is fantastic, given that there was a very short turnaround time between when the survey was administered and our conversations with the oncologist. We had 130 participants, across 29 US states and four countries. The average age was about 49 years old at the age of diagnosis, where the youngest person reported was 29 and the oldest was 77. The current age of most of the people who participated in the survey was 51. So between 49 and 51, you understand that people within about a two to three year period have been diagnosed with breast cancer and are most likely still going through treatment or have just recently finished treatment. Of those diagnosed, fifteen point nine percent have had a gen- have had a genetic predisposition, which I found fascinating because we always talk about um, genetics and being genetically tested for BRCA one, BRCA two, any of the check two genes, ATM, and we say that well, it's hereditary is only about ten percent, maybe upwards of fifteen percent that the breast cancer is genetically related. That leaves a huge percentage to be other causes, environmental causes, unknown causes, etc. cetera. So when I saw the statistic that of our respondents, we had 15% with a genetic predisposition, that really supports the literature in saying that of our 130 participants, yes, 15% of them did have genetic testing done and tested positive for breast cancer. We also took a deeper dive into the makeup of our participants who is considered, quote-unquote, early-stage breast cancer, and we're defining early-stage as stages 0 through stage 3, and then late-stage breast cancer, metastatic or stage 4. Our respondents were pretty well represented. We had about 59% being early-stage with an average age of 51 and 32% of metastatic breast cancer with an average age of 47 I also thought this was a really interesting data point because late stage, um, people diagnosed with late stage breast cancer had an average age of 47, which was lower than the early stagers at age 51. So, not in the scope of this research whatsoever, but I am incredibly curious to know why so many women at such a young age are being diagnosed with metastatic cancer. So that's a little bit about the makeup of who our population was. So we asked, how concerned or anxious are you about the impact of COVID-19 and breast cancer? And not to anyone's surprise, you can imagine that on the scale of one being not too concerned to five being incredibly concerned. We saw a lot of respondents around the three, four and five range. This data point was really interesting because the early stagers actually appear to be more concerned than those who have been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Now, I will just pause right there. If you have any examples or thoughts around, you know, why someone with early stage breast cancer would be more concerned than someone with late stage breast cancer with regards to how anxious and concerned they are with COVID-19, we would love to hear your thoughts. Please feel free to shoot me an email at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org or tag survivingbreastcancer.org on social media, and we can definitely start a conversation there. What's interesting here is how the respondents classified their concerns. Some of their biggest concerns were very inward and personal, like if they had breast cancer that metastasized to the lungs or if they had radiation to the chest. Because coronavirus is a respiratory virus, this would stand to reason. Other concerns were also internalized in terms of, when can I have my surgery? I need this tumor out of me. And then also, what if I catch the virus? What if I become ill? What if I do not survive and if I die? Then there was this outward um, concern as well. So yes, I'm concerned for myself, but I'm also concerned for my family. My husband is a first responder and I'm afraid for us as a family. I'm worried about my children and the fact that I have to homeschool them Are they going to be able to get the same education they would have if they were in school? What about their socialization? And I'm also worried about my kids getting it. Plus, other concerns I have are the aftermath. So I love this dichotomy between personal concerns and then external um, concerns as well. So I really wanted to point that out, that it's not just about me, myself, and I with breast cancer, but how this entire COVID-19 is impacting us as a family unit and as a society. We asked how the impact of COVID-19 played out in the treatment setting. The respondents were across the board. So we asked about the delay of surgery, we asked about if there was a delay or postponement of chemotherapy, a postponement of just annual mammograms. We advocate all the time, do not miss your annual mammogram and now that is being postponed as well. A large percentage of women actually switch to telehealth for their routine care. So these would be virtual, um, either video conferencing or phone calls that you would have with your medical providers. Some women also reported that there was no impact, and this could be because of the timing in which we were administering the survey. They could be in between treatments and won't be impacted because their appointment isn't for another month out, etc. The biggest impact... That was reported was that there were no visitors that people can bring with them to meet with their oncologist. How important is it that we tell people all the time please bring someone with you, please bring a caregiver or a friend or a parent or a sibling to listen to all of the information that's being thrown your way when you're newly diagnosed or changing treatment plans? And now, because of COVID 19, we're no longer able to bring visitors with us to these appointments. This is a huge shift. We also are no longer able to bring visitors with us to the infusion center. So this has had a big impact in terms of the work that we're doing at survivingbreastcancer.org because we are trying to celebrate and be there virtually with women who are going in for their very first chemotherapy, which we know can be a little daunting. And then we also want to be there to celebrate people when they finish their last chemotherapy. And so now that we can't have visitors, we're trying to think of creative ways to support the community. There's also been a delay of scans, and this has caused some anxiety as well. I know a lot of us always ask, scan me, scan me. I just want to know if um, there has been progression or not. I just need to know, and now we have to wait. Sometimes, in certain situations, chemotherapy was moved to a different facility, and so maybe you're not getting your routine treatment at your your standard and local hospital, but you may have to commute a little bit farther to go to a facility that has less COVID cases. Some people are also unsure when they're going to meet with their doctor next. And so we can really start to see some of the impact that COVID-19 is having specifically with our breast cancer community. There are a variety of coping strategies and these aren't very different than what you would expect with just a regular breast cancer diagnosis. Respondents reported staying closer in contact with family and friends community faith and religion were very important they still engaged in various hobbies (coughs) excuse me including physical activity reading more and watching movies and then some of the other activities that i really enjoyed reading about were people participating in gardening activities spending time and walking their dogs i hear a lot that with being um residing at home more often, all of our pets are getting so much more attention than they ever could have dreamed possible. So that's always a good thing. We're getting organized. So we're keeping our minds busy. We're cleaning and reorganizing. We're spending time with our kids and trying to take on that teacher role and teach them. And then also I want to acknowledge that it is difficult to cope and that it is difficult. There isn't an answer and we can be very busy with all of these tasks to try and keep our mind occupied, but at the end of the day I do want to acknowledge that coping is hard and it's a challenge and you have a whole community of us here for you to talk, to write emails to you, to journal, and to share and express, and we're here to listen. When we asked everyone on a scale from one to five, how's your communication been with your oncology team? One being very little communication and poor contact, to five being great communication and good contact. And I have to say that this was a five-star rating for all of our medical oncology teams. We received a large large number of responses in the three, four, and five category saying that our medical oncologists are continuing to communicate and are being transparent with the information that they have and know at the time to share with us. This is a very strong point that I did share with the medical oncologist saying that communication over communication is such a good thing because we just want to know. Even if there's nothing to know, we just want to know and be in contact, whether that is sharing um, an email every week with just updates, sending a text message or calling. And these don't have to be lengthy conversations either, but we do know that we want to be checked in on and we communicated that to the doctors. I think one of the hardest parts for us as breast cancer, as a breast cancer community dealing with COVID-19 is that when we read all of the guidelines about how we're supposed to manage um, at this time, right? We say, stay at home. We hear that we need to be extra vigilant. We have to wash our hands. We have to practice good social distancing, follow the CDC guidelines to wear a mask, etc. cetera. But at the same time, this is what everyone else in the world is being told also. So as someone diagnosed with breast cancer, are we different? Do we need a different messaging? And I think this is really where that friction starts to show up a little bit, right? Like, okay, when I had breast cancer, yes, I was told to stay home, and I was told because of my immunocompromised system, there are certain things I shouldn't do. There were certain foods I should avoid, like sushi, for example. There was like a prescription that we followed and we did it to a T because we were so concerned and did not want to get sick or risk complicating any of the treatments that we were on. But now we're getting told the exact same information as the rest of the world. And so I, I understand that there's this, okay, but what about me? How does COVID-19 impact me specifically and my particular diagnosis? And that is something I really wanted to communicate as well, that there is this odd dichotomy between what we're experiencing and what we're going through. I would say the major themes that came from this the survey is that we do have concerns about uncertainty there's anxiety and fear and then we're also getting conflicted information at the end of the day we want to listen to our medical professionals and our care team and that's who we trust and then we turn to social media sometimes which can be a little misleading and so i just want to encourage everyone to really talk to their doctors they are open to hearing from us, and that's who we should be relying upon. The major feedback that we gave to the medical oncologist is that we want proactive communication and regular communication. That was one of the major findings from this research. We want to be updated with all of the information. More info is good. Tell us about how we can deal with COVID-19 and address strategies for someone in the family if they get the virus, what should we do? We would love and welcome personal emails and text messages as well as more information on mental health. So this is where we left it with a list and an ask of what we're looking for. I look forward to following up with you in the coming weeks on the outcome of these conversations. And I thank all of you for participating because it does make a difference. We are here to advocate and be your voice. So until next time, I wish you all a lovely Monday. Have a wonderful week ahead. And thank you for listening. Thank you all for tuning in and listening to today's episode. We release episodes each week, typically on Mondays. If you have a topic idea or would like to be a guest on our show, please contact me at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. We love hearing from you. Please remember that the content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed on our podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our workplaces. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Until next time, keep on thriving.